How many of you guys would say, I am in love? Raise your hand. You say, I am in love. You say, how could that be an awkward question? Just look at the people that are dating right now. Because they don't know what to do. They're like, I love you. Well, I've never told her, you know, and they don't know what to do with that. It, it's awesome. It, it's a, it, love is such a powerful thing. It's such a, an emotional thing that comes into our life that changes us. And I know as Christians, we talk about the love of God and things like that. But man, the love that we have with each other and the love of God should be an example of something we have in our lives because of the fact is we are the bride of Christ. And that, that whole illustration example, and you say about marriage and everything, we just had a couple of weeks ago, we had a marriage, uh, a wedding that happened right here on this stage. It was Taylor and Xavier, uh, they, the Oni, they got married, and uh, this was a picture we took at their reception afterwards. It was awesome. It was the beginning of this relationship, this long-term commitment to each other, and it's great. You talk about first love. You get off the stage, go to the back and say, how long have you been married? Ten minutes, five minutes. You know what I'm saying? It's like right at the very, very, very beginning. We've, we've got another one that's about to happen. I'm so proud of this guy. Victor Smith that grew up in our church, uh, went through our youth group, surrendered the preach, went off to Bible college. Uh, Victor is marrying Hannah. They're getting married in two weeks. I'm going to be driving down to Mississippi to go to this wedding. I can't wait. Uh, but Victor came back from Bible college and did an internship here. And it's just this, the love. I, some of you guys are sitting there saying, man, I just, it's been a long time since I remember being that in love. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you've been married for a long time. And it was crazy. When me and Jenny first got together and uh, we were dating and everything, we were um, separated from uh, distance. Once we, we took a semester off of school and we were getting ready to go in Bible college. And uh, the, the younger generation will not understand this. Do I sound like an old man saying stuff like that now? But we used to have a thing called long-distance calling. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When it, was, it used to be a long-distance You didn't just pull out a phone and call anybody that you wanted. You would wait till like 5, 7. I can't remember when the cutoff was. So you could call somebody so it wasn't so expensive. It's like you paid per minute to talk to somebody. So if you were in love, you were just in trouble. And I remember, <clears throat> no cell phones. Um, those were brand new, and those were extremely expensive. And uh, so me and Jenny had to get creative. So we did something that was old-fashioned. We would actually write letters to each other. We, we just, and <clears throat> I actually have some with me today. Is, is it okay? I've already gotten permission from Jenny. I'd like to read some of the love letters that Jenny wrote me. These aren't from me to Jenny, but from Jenny to me. So I've got to read you this one, and uh, this is a letter that was written on 5-31-1996. So, I mean, a long time ago. We were engaged at this point. I just got off the phone with her. I, I confessed this deep thing that was going on in my life. I told her that I was broken, that I was crushed, that I went through, I mean, this really tough information that I received. And this is the letter that she wrote back to me. I thought to encourage me, but it was not. I told her I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with male pattern baldness. <laughs> and the doctor gave me those words you never want to hear. The doctor said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing more we can do. No joke. They tried all these different things. And so I called her thinking, how is this going to be for me to tell my future wife 
that, that she's going to marry a bald guy. And she's like, and I had, you guys have seen the, the pictures and the th- everything. I had a full head of hair. So I didn't look anything like, you know, somebody going bald. I had a lot of hair. So she says, oh, well, this is how she, she's saying all these sweet things. And then she rolls into this. She goes, oh, well, at least I still have my hair. No joke. This is, this is her. Come back to this. I'm kidding, sweetheart. I love you and I love your hair or the lack of it. Even if you go bald, which I still don't believe, (laughs) I don't get to be right very often, but on this one, I nailed it, okay? (laughs) I will love you anyways forever, I promise. And I'm sorry for laughing at you. It's just that you're so cute seeing you like this. Aww. It didn't count after you called me bald and said that I was lying and I was it just it didn't have the sweetness about it. I've got another one. This, this one is actually, this was at the very beginning. So this is after we met in college and we were going home for Christmas break. So this was 12, 17, 95. We just left each other. And this was a totally different style letter and things like this. But remember, we're still in that beginning dating stage. We're not in the, you know, getting married or anything like that. And she said, uh, she says, we had to go to the store today, and then we went down to uh, McDonald's, which where she used to work. She said, I went in, I told everybody where I'd been and what I'd been doing, and I told them all about us dating, and we've been together. I talked nonstop about you. So far, my family isn't sick of hearing about you. In fact, they're very happy for us. And they said that you, should, you sound like a great guy and all this other stuff. And so this was at the beginning. I'm not going to read because none of your business, okay? I'm not reading all this. But I started thinking about just the, the levels of, of the, the, the relationship that we had. And the, we, we would take these letters, and a letter was special. I, I still have these today. It was a way to be able to share your heart on paper. It was a way to write out things that you could sit there and just share a, a, a feeling or a thought or a vision or a future, or whatever. It was just time that you spent expressing love and feelings. It was just it was special. And, and it, when you would receive it, it, according to the emotions or the relationship, I just wrote a form email and, uh, and I wrote at the top, to whom it may concern. If you write a love letter like that, you've got issues, okay? If you start a love letter like that. But you say, instead you say, my dearest or my sweetest or you know, the love of my life or whatever, it's different. Say, so where are you going with this? I want to study some letters. And I think this is so important that we grasp these letters. So turning your Bible to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to tell you how unique these letters are because Revelation is a book of future. Revelation is a book of heaven. It's a book of the tribulation period. It is a book of judgment. It's a book of things to come like the millennial reign. It has all these things that are part of it. But at the beginning of it, it doesn't start off that way. So uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, let's start this off. And he says, Blessed is he that readeth, they that heareth the words of, the pro- of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And said, blessings come from this. He said, he said I want you to read this. I want you to hear this. He said, I, I, I have some important things that you want to say. I, it's going to change your life. It's going to impact. It's, good. it's a really good thing. You say, of course, the whole Bible is like that. Have you ever had conversations? Me and Jordan were having conversations last night. 
and he came into my room, and, and I was doing something. You guys know as parents, when you're trying to do something, and Jordan says to me, hey, Dad, did you do that? And he says something to me, and I didn't hear it. And he says, Dad, you didn't even hear what I said. I was, I, was, I was there and present, but I wasn't really listening. And I had to stop, put down what I was doing, and say, all right, Jordan, I'm sorry, what did you say? <clears throat> and this passage, it's the same thing. Even when he says, he that hath an ear, Revelation 2.11, don't turn there. But he says in this passage, he that have a hear, ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to, unto the churches. Think about what he's saying. He's, if, if you really want somebody to grab a hold of something, he says, do you have an ear? You, you know, you tell, talk to kids and you'll be like, I need you all to put your listening ears on. You know, I, I'm not saying Jesus was talking down to us like that, but he was saying, here, if you have an ear, I need you to hear. I need you to get this. I really, really need you to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to my people. You say the whole Bible's like that. This is no doubt whatsoever. You see, Revelation 1-4 tells us that John was writing the letter, okay? John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him. These are letters from Jesus to the church, which is and which was to come the seven spirits which are before his throne, you see, John was just the, the, the giver of it. He's the pen. He's the writer. He's the instrument of this. I can prove this. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. I think, I think sometimes with this, let me, let me just tell you, church, sometimes when we get to passages like this, I think we just don't hear. When this letter, I didn't even mean to, to, to realize that it had this. I grabbed this and, and stuck both letters in one envelope, and I was walking around looking at this, and I remember when I would get the letter from Jenny in the mail, and I would be heading back up to the house, she would write things on the outside of the envelope, and on the outside of this envelope, it said, I love you. Now, that's powerful, and sometimes when you're married for a long length of times, we'll say those words a lot, but let, can I just stop for a minute and tell you what it's like when you're first falling in love, and you don't really have that deep relationship, and you're missing them, or maybe you had, you know, just you haven't seen them in a while, and all things like that, and you read those words, you read them over and over again. I, I love you. <laughs> and you just like... Oh my goodness, it's just, it just, it does something. It's like, you're, you're so excited and it's like, hey, I go in the house and like, what do you got? Nothing, you know, it's just like, like, like a junior high boy or something. It's just, it's just a big deal. Have we gotten over this? And in the beginning of this, this, this whole love letter that he says, he says, from Jesus to him that loves us. It, it's not just, uh, I died for you on the cross so you wouldn't go to hell. Man, this is, this is an outpouring of this letter that Jesus is saying, I love you. He washed us from our sins and his blood. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins this letter. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, the angel was a representative. You look at Revelation 1.20, it actually ties it in as being the pastor an angel, he wasn't calling the pastor an angel like we think of it, but an angel was a representative. 
An angel would show up in places and given. That, that symbolism was the same thing that they were doing here. And he was writing to these churches. And the first church is the church of Ephesus. It was a specific church. It wasn't just random people that he was writing to. Now, if I was to go in and there, there, these seven churches that was written there, there's a map. And let me show you guys this just to get an idea. There's the island of Patmos and the Crete and all these things that we read about in Scripture of what's going on of him being exiled. So John is being exiled. He's cast out because of the fact is that he was preaching and following Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up with them to write all these people, these, but they're all on this Asia Minor. They're all in this area here. Uh, of these churches. So they, a lot of people think that maybe they were just a string of churches that were started one from another, like church plants, where they kept birth in churches and they had the connection to each other. We're not exactly sure what it was, but we know it was written by John. We know he was exiled for, for doing the work of Jesus Christ. Look, look, read verse one again. And unto the church, uh, angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, I'm giving you a lot of introduction to get into this. But what a visual. You know, Jesus is a God that, or God is a God that loves to give us visuals, to help us understand, to be able to pay attention. And he says, the churches are, are like on this candlestick. And we know that illustration because let your light so shine before men. Let your light go out. Let, let, let its light is powerful. It illuminates. It changes. It's, it's like a city set on a hill. You can't be hid. Remember that when we close this out. And he says in this, Jesus holds us. There's power in that. We're not going through this crazy world alone. We're not facing these trials and tribulations. We're not alone. He made it very clear. He says, you're in my hand. I hold you. I've got you. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through. Uh, the power of the church rests in the hands of Jesus Christ. And we start getting into this letter. Can I just set the stage for this? Because I think sometimes we just, we just get so caught up in the words of the Bible that we, don't get, we forget about the author of the words of the Bible. They got a letter. It's going to these churches. A lot of times they thought that maybe because they didn't have big buildings like this, that maybe these churches were like a bunch of, like, like our life groups would be. It's like one church, but they were in different locations and things like that because they didn't have buildings like this. They had all sorts of opposition. It wasn't like it is now. And when there was a representative, maybe in each house, but then there was the main one. He had the letter. Busting that church that day, door that day, and say, guys, today's going to be a little different. I got a letter from John. It's, it's, who, who's it from? He said, it's from Jesus. Can you imagine? How would you listen differently right now if I said, I, I got a letter from Jesus, and on the outside of the label it says, Dear Fellowship Baptist Church? Can we study this right now like it's at, and you say, wait a minute, it's church to the church of Ephesus. I understand that. But at the same time, it's in the book of Revelation. It's literally that God knows all these things are coming to hand and coming to pass and all this future stuff and everything. And then he, at the beginning of it, it's weird. Isn't it weird that all these future things and in the middle of it, Jesus starts talking to churches? So let's try it like this. Dear Fellowship Baptist Church, I know thy works, I know thy labor, 
and thy patience. And how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou cannot canst tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Has borne his patience. For my namesake has labored and has not fainted. You can imagine them sitting in a room and and them reading this letter, and you can imagine the, the enthusiasm, and they're hearing this, and they're like nudging each other and said, I told you it was worth it. Man, I told you that was a good thing. Jesus said, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know your labor. I know what you put into this. He compliments them. Now, there's two things that he listed in this passage as a compliment, two things that he's saying this. He said, I recognize you for working hard. Man, isn't that awesome? You, you work hard. I mean, we, we work hard when we go through our Easter dramas and we do outreaches and we go out into the neighborhoods and we do these things and we pass out food and we collect goods and we, we give them out to people that are in need and we have all these things that we do and it's just like, man, I, I hope it's not in vain. I don't want to do it if it's in vain. I do it for the glory of God. I want God to know that I did it for him. And Jesus starts the letter and says, hey, I know how hard you guys are working. Man, I see it. <laughs> I see it. I know you fill your calendar. I know you do your very best at this. Then he said, I, I, I thank you for standing for truth. He said, thou hast tried them, which say that they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. He goes on to say, you, you have patience, and for my name's sake, you've labored. You've not fainted in this whatsoever. He was saying in the course of this, he said, man, you've called it out. I want to be a church that calls it out. I don't care what's going on in the world around us. If the Bible says it's right, I want to live what's right. I want to preach what's right. Man, this church kind of like, yeah, you got that right. I don't, I don't care how laws change. I don't care how the world changes. I don't care how morality changes. We preach what's right. Amen. And that, that church was, man, this is awesome. And then these things, they come together. It just make up this power of this church. They were passionate for truth. You ever read a letter and then it says, uh, but there's more, or hey, I need to tell you something? And you get that knot in your stomach like this isn't going to be good? Chapter 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. If you know people, people don't take bad news well. And if, if any of you are, as are married, if you've ever fought... Uh, maybe, maybe people are, that are watching online right now, they're sitting on opposite couches right now because maybe you guys are, I don't know, nobody's calling me, but I'm just saying sometimes people don't always get along. And sometimes you've got to confront that. You've got to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. And the thing that we do in the back of our minds, we're ready for that argument to be able to say, yeah, but look at all this. Jesus just announced to them, he said, I know your works. I know all the things that you've done. It's almost like he says, ah, 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 before you bring that up. Because the thing is, you can't have something against me. Look at what I do for you. Look at all the work that I do and look at the programs that I do and look at the time that I do. You can't say that you're upset at me. Nevertheless, I, I have somewhat against thee. There's a problem. Can I remind you that this is Jesus explaining this problem? It's not just anybody. Because a lot of times if somebody comes to me and tells me that I have a problem, I'm like, who are you to tell me? Or you think you know me? You don't see everything that I do. You know what I'm saying? We, we write, this is Jesus saying that they have a problem. I have somewhat against thee, 
is thou hast left thy first love. He didn't say you lost your first love. You've left it. Jesus explains this love in the early church or the early parts of this passage in the, up to the church when he said, man, I loved you. He, he was talking about this love that's supposed to be reciprocated. He said, I love you. Do you know what every relationship wants to hear if you go to somebody and say, hey, I love you? You want to hear it back. It, it's it's going to be a bad day for any couple dating where you go to me and build up the courage and just say, I've got to tell you something. I love you. And they don't say it back. It's like, okay, it's just a bad day. Uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's just, and Jesus is saying in this passage, he said, man, I love you. He said, I know that it started off this way when you fell in love with God and you fell in love with love with truth and you would go to church and you had a passion and you had a zeal and you had this, this just outpouring of the love of God. Do you guys remember the day that you got saved? Do you remember when your eyes were opened? Do you remember that sense of relief? Do you remember that joy that overcame you? Do you remember what it was like when you would listen to music and it would it'd be exciting and, you know, you, you hear a song, we have Spotify and we're going through it and it's just like, you, you, you play that song over and over in the car and then you see somebody and say, you gotta hear this song. It talks about how we didn't have a way and I was lost in my sin and I was going to hell, but Jesus stepped in. And you know, for Christians that have heard it, it's like, yeah, dude, we all, we all know the song, dude. Okay, settle down. It's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like the letter when I run in the house and I say, hey, she says she loves me. I, I think what Jesus is saying is I think you've gotten over it. It's, it's no longer passion. He said, thou hast left your first love. See, that's the primary part of the relationship is a desire for the other person. It's a passion. It's a pull. It's a motivation. It's true with any kind of relationship. You start off this way. You, you, you want to be with them. You can't wait. I, <clears throat> I'm talking about that letter, me and Jenny we would, we would be on dates when we first got together and we, we were dating in the college that we had like a dating spot where it's just couches and hang out and you can go out and get drinks and all this stuff and we would go talk for hours and hours and the thing that we would do when we would laugh, it wasn't, it wasn't ping pong and it wasn't going to play, it wasn't ice skating, it wasn't all those kind of things. It was just, we would just sit and talk and be together and when we left each other, I would be like, hey, tomorrow could could we do this again? And we'd both be like, well, I have homework tomorrow and you have homework tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, let's do it anyways. You know, it's like, who cares? You know, it's like that feeling, we're in love and I love you and I can't wait to see you. And, and I would go back and actually that evening write her a letter and I'd give it to her. And I mean, we were just so caught up with just us being together. It wasn't everything that we had to it. I think it's the same thing with us and our relationship with God. You think about it, in, in our relationship, then we got married, and it was that excitement that I talked about these guys at the beginning of it. Then we got a one-bedroom apartment. Life was kind of simple, and we had one car, and we shared that. And then we bought a house. Then we had two cars. And then we're maintaining those two cars, and we're maintaining the house, and then we work harder to maintain, to, to, you know what I'm saying? You just do it all over again. Then you have kids, and you have sports, and you have activities, and you have trips, and you have calendars and you have stuff and you have stuff and you have stuff and you do this and after a while somebody could come up to you and you know you're in front of the house and you're got your landscaping your two cars and they're washing out there and everything and somebody can come up to you and say how's your relationship and you say man I've got a great life and a great marriage is it based on 
how much you talk and the relationship that you actually have or is it based on all the stuff that you do and the stuff that you have? He's saying in this passage, you left something. You left something. It's more than just church services. It's more than the classes. It's more than the service. It's more than the money we give. It's more than the song. Because passion slowly turns into routines and ruts and rituals, traditions. We end up going through the motion of things. And it's not I'm excited to go to church. It's just like, well, we need to go to church. You know, just listen to our language. Come on, kids, we really need to get to church. Come on. You know, we have a bad attitude getting out the door. We're frustrated as we're in the car. And, oh, great, here we go again. And we're critical about everything that we do and everything that we're going through. And it's easy to do this. It's, it's, we get to these spots in our lives and in our hearts that there's, there's nothing left there. It used to be when, you know, we sang that song a minute ago. Oh, what a Savior, wonderful Savior. This is my story. This is my song. When you get saved and you know that, and it's real life, and it's like, man, if anybody even knew where I came from or what I've been through. But you're that weirdo, just being honest. You're that weirdo. It's like you're singing, and all the other stiff, boring Christians that have been so stale with Christianity for so long, mumbling the words because that means nothing to them anymore. But that newlywed Christian... That one that hasn't gotten over, oh, what a Savior, beautiful Savior. That one that those words still mean something. But you know what? We get into those routines and we get in it and all of a sudden we stand up to sing and say, well, I hope we don't sing a long time because my legs hurt. And I I tell you what, oh, we're singing that song. I hate this song. I don't know why we sing this song. I bet you we repeat. There we go. We're repeating it. There's that so-and-so over there again. Watch. I guarantee you when we hit the chorus, she's going to raise her hand. Three, two, one. There she goes. I told you, it's like, it's, like, it's like a button goes off in her brain. She's got to, you know, and all of a sudden we become a bunch of grouchy old criticizing Christians. Pastor preaches, and I've heard this before, and I, I've heard that passage, and what's the big deal, and holy cow, I know where he's going with this, and he told that story five years ago. You know, it's just, we just, we just lose it. What happened? Jesus would ask us and just be honest and say, why did you come? You know, if this was a relationship that we're talking about, you get around somebody, you have a date, maybe they invite them over the house and they're cooking dinner and they're upset about, oh, the the, the food doesn't taste good or whatever, and I'm sorry about this, and you make it about everything else other than sitting down at that table and having that relationship— that person walks out unfulfilled like this was not even worth my time. I think coronavirus has been an awful thing. But I think it's done a lot of good. And I know I'd probably get criticized by people for even saying those words. I think God works everything to his good. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And I think sometimes God begins to strip things away for us to be reminded of what matters most. To get the busyness, and uh, l- l- let, me, let me put it like this, just getting back, Jesus actually corrects them in this passage, so let's look at verse 5. Dear church, please listen. Remember, therefrom from whence thou art fallen, repent 
and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. Now notice these things, and like I said, I have a big introduction and a small message, so don't get nervous with this, okay? But the first thing he says with this is, he's just, remember where you came from. Uh, and this is, I, I can't give you a simpler uh, outline because it's, it's literally Jesus' outline. This is what he said. Revelation 2.5, he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. The word remember means to exercise and memory, to recollect, to make mention, to be mindful. We talk a lot of times when it means stuff like this about to remember. It, we're, we're thinking that Christian life shouldn't be about remembering because forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. You know what I'm saying? It's, but I, I think what Jesus was saying is I don't want you to dwell in the past. Man, you've been set free. Don't, don't dwell on that mistake. No, I, I don't want you looking back. But sometimes when we're singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a what? Like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We lose that. Jesus was literally saying to them, do you remember what it was like when you first started? I remember me and Jenny just going through these letters and talking and everything. It's like you, you, you get unappreciative of what you have. When we were first uh, married, we, we didn't have a washer and dryer. We didn't even have a spot in our apartment for washer and dryer. You don't realize what a valuable asset a washer and dryer is until you don't have a washer and dryer. We had to save up our dirty clothes. If you ran out of something, you were just dead. I mean, just done. It was just, there was nothing you could do except wash it in the sink and hang it out the dry. I mean, it, it was just, it was really hard. We went to school, we went to work, so every Saturday was wash day. We'd have to save up quarters, go in there, hope we can find washers or dryers open. It was so hot. It was down in Jacksonville, Florida. And then all of a sudden that day comes and we got our first washer and dryer for our own. We could dirty clothes, throw them in there and pull them out. And we were just like freaking out over this. It's like, what is the big deal? I didn't have it before. And now we have like the front loader, Samsung and everything. We'll go in there and say, this dumb thing doesn't work right. I hate how long it takes. We're now criticizing it. And God says, stop. Go back to your quarters. Go back to sitting in the hot room. Did you forget? Did you forget? Did you forget where I've taken you, where you were, what you didn't have before? And sometimes in our Christian lives, we lose sight of the fact that, man, we might have come out of horrible situations, and we might have messed up. We had nothing going for us, and we thought the, the roof would fall in if we went to church. And then one day, Jesus gets a hold of our lives, opens our eyes. We see it for what it is. We get saved, and our whole life changes. And, man, we're so thankful and excited Amen. until you get used to it. And just add you add. Now, can I just remind you why I'm saying this? Because in all the stuff that they did, Jesus said, I have something against you. If you've no longer made it about me, you've made it about you, and it no longer pleases God. Jesus was asking, when did you lose this? What happened? When did amazing grace stop being amazing? When did I stop being how great thou art that we take the greatness out of it. When, when did we stop having that passion? When did church stop being exciting? When did we stop when we used to get up in the morning and be excited? Hey, guys, it's church. Let's go to church. And instead, our kids have to be in a house where mom and dad are arguing the whole time because they have to go to church. 
I'm just being honest. I, I've wondered, God's please, if, if we come to church and God can't get us out of the hallway to stop talking long enough to come into a room to worship with other people. I love you guys. I'm just being honest with all of us. Have we lost why we do what we do? Have we forgotten? And the next thing he says, he says, remember from where you came. The next thing he says, change the way you think. He said it doesn't say that. It exactly says that. It says, remember there from whence thou art fallen and repent. Now repent, in our minds, we take the basic definition means of change of direction. You know what I'm saying? We say that all the time. You need to be saved. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's a change of direction. And that is so true. But do you realize a change of direction actually starts in the mind? The word repent means to think differently, to reconsider, to repent. That's what it means. It means when God reached my brain with understanding hell and heaven, it hit my heart, which changed my direction. It's not just a change of direction. It's a matter of changing my mind. You realize in the middle of this with Jesus saying, hey, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. God, we're doing so much. I know what you do. Oh, I know what you do. I know how busy you are. I know how you run. I know how full your calendar is. I know how you preach truth. I know how you do that. You stand on it. He said, but I still have something against you. And he said, the only way that you're going to get this right, it's not just a matter of remembering, but allowing that memory to change your direction or change your mind where you begin to look at God differently again. It's change. You see, when you begin to realize why you do what you do, you fall back in love with what he was talking about. I, I, I thought about all the things that we've added and this third, let me, let me just give this third point. He says, remember therefore for once thou art fallen and repent and do thy first works. So we put these together. He said, it's not just a matter of remembering. It's just a matter of, man, I, just re- I do remember what God did. I remember how sweet it was. Remember when me and Jenny would, would, would stay up all night talking. I remember when we'd sit on the phone and we'd fall asleep with the phone in our hands. I, I remember when we'd go on dates and we'd look forward to those because we haven't, you know, and I know life changes. You sit there and say, are you trying to say it's supposed to be like it was? No, it will never be that way. Guys, if you get married, year two won't be like year one. Year five won't be like year two. You, you know what I'm saying? It changes like that. But we're talking about the love should not change. If anything, if our love is based on God's love, I should be more in love with my spouse after 20 years than I was after two years. It doesn't fade out. It doesn't die out. So the idea of remembering is God says, hey, look back. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember when you were so excited? And then all of a sudden it changes your mind like, man, I don't use quarters anymore. I've got a machine and it's mine. It changes your idea. And then all of a sudden, he said, go and do thy first works. Now think about what he was saying with that. How did it all start? When you got up in the morning, you went to church, and you walk in there, and you sang, and you praised, and you did all that stuff. But then along the way, I joined the choir, which is not a bad thing. Jesus never rebuked what they did. Remember that. He never rebuked that. I know your things. He said, man, you've done good. I teach you class. Man, you've stood against what is lies. I give in the offering. I go on mission trips. Man, I've been involved in the work days at the church. I volunteered to be in the Easter program. All these things. He wasn't saying any of those things were bad. But what he's saying is that, he says, what I need you to do is go back and do the first things that you were doing. Back when you were talking. Back when you would discover the word of God and you would read things and you would highlight things and you would share things. Kind of like in that letter, I went to work and I told everybody about you because I was just so excited that we're together. 
These things aren't bad. But I was asked this question by another pastor. He said, if everything was stripped away from you, what would your relationship with God be like? If you couldn't have your Sunday school class, if you couldn't have your choir, if you couldn't have being there, and I thought, how relevant is that with us having coronavirus and everything being changed right now? But is your satisfaction, your relationship, based on how much you do for Jesus? Or what's left when you aren't doing for Jesus anymore? Is there any relationship left? Last Sunday, we closed out the service by Pastor Dave coming out and telling you guys that we, uh, my sister's pastor is the pastor of the church that's right down the street from where I grew up. It's been there for 17 years. It's gotten my family through a lot of difficult times. He's been a friend to Pastor Chris and other people on our staff. He's just an amazing guy, youth speaker, well-known, speaks at Pensacola Christian College all the time. He just, he's just an incredible guy. He was, they're the ones that hosted my dad's service when my dad died and just, just a wonderful guy. He was diagnosed with leukemia two years ago. And on his first trip to go get his, uh, his chemo, they lined the streets for like two miles, I can't remember how long, with signs saying, we love you, Pastor, we're behind you, Pastor. And just all the way there, he just wept on the way to the hospital, reading signs as he went to go get his chemo treatments. Last Sunday, God took him home. Five kids, most of them are teenagers, I watched the funeral service live this past Thursday afternoon. And they published or they, they played one of his last messages that he preached, the last message that he ever preached. Somebody had like an iPhone and they turned it into a, a video clip. Do you guys mind if I played two minutes of him preaching? He's a beautiful God, isn't he? Truly, this is the Son of God. So tonight, as we walk away from here, I don't want you to say, what a great trial I had. We missed the story. You don't want to say what great faith I need. You missed the point of the story. The point of the story is Jesus. But remember this. Truly, this is the Son of God. Truly, this is the Son of God. Only God. I told you guys I was talking to Zach last night about one o'clock. That's a steroid. I don't know what it was from. And I said on my grave marker, I want it very simple. I wanted to have my name, obviously. I didn't know who I was. But the birth and death, that's fine. Then I want the whole thing, as big as it can be, to say only God. I want it right up beside 67. Jeremy, you make sure that happens. Pastor, we don't need to be talking like that. 
Why not? It's happening for every one of us sooner or later. Sooner than later, truth be told. And it's going to only be about Him. It's always going to be about Him. It's always about Jesus. It's always about the gospel. Always, always, always. We make what we do here, what we do in classrooms, or what we do in our individual life about anything other than our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's all empty. On his deathbed, Pastor Lewis literally was just saying, when it's all stripped away, when the only thing left is a tombstone representing my life, I just want them to see that, not the busyness and the programs and everything. I want it to be all about only God, only God, only God. Are we hearing what Jesus is saying? I mean, are we hearing when Jesus said, I have someone against you? Because I know you do a lot, and I know you're busy, and I know you stand for truth, and praise God for that. That's wonderful things, and God is all for those things. But through the course of that, if somehow we set aside our relationship, our passion, our love for our God, and it gets more about us and what we like and being critical than it does about furthering Jesus and our love for Jesus, then we've left something behind. You say, is that a big deal? He says at the end of verse 5, or else I will come unto thee quickly. will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. You think about the power of the Holy Spirit of God, about the presence of that, that flame, that, that, that what he was talking about. He said, I'll just, I'll just take it out. He said, and it wasn't a matter of God saying, you lose your salvation, don't read into this. He was literally talking about the church. He said, if it's not about me and your love for me and your relationship with me, and it's all about your programs and what you do, then you have nothing. So what he was saying, he said, there's nothing there. It'd be better off that I move it somewhere else and do something else with it because that is a false representation of what the church is all about. It's just empty. It's void. It's dead. Paul was talking to the church in Corinthians and he said, if I do all these things and I give my body to be burned and I do this and I do that and I have not love, he said, I have nothing. So I asked all of us right now, in your heart, would Jesus ask you the question, I see what you do, but do you still love me? I don't hear you talk about it. I don't see that passion. I see more about guilt and responsibility and frustration than I do like it was when this started. What happened? What took my place? Have you fallen more in love with the programs and performances and the presence of these things than you have with him?